Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. I got caught up into the world. I got caught up into some of the things that it was forming me into. I had to be reshaped. And funny thing is, I remember crossing the bridge. I have just let, I'll never go back. But Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark. I'm the online managing editor for Christianity Today and the host of The Calling. Today on The Calling, I'll be talking to David Fitch. He is a professor, a pastor, and a writer, and a podcaster. He does a lot of stuff. Morgan, welcome to the show. I'm not David. You're not David, but you are uh, my sort of co-introduction person. Hey everyone, I'm Morgan Lee. I am an assistant editor here and also the host of Quick to Listen, which is our weekly current events podcast. Yeah. So today on the show, we're going to have David Fitch. Cool. David I actually Fitch. feel like I have friends that are close to David and really haven't just felt awesome being mentored by him over the years. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's been great. He's given, I think, a lot of good advice about church planting yeah. and just kind of providing vision. My friends who are have been influenced by him are often in their 20s or their 30s and have really appreciated, yeah, just the wisdom he's been able to add to their life. Mm-hmm. He also is involved with Missio Alliance. Yeah. Are you familiar with them? Yep. Yeah. Yep, definitely. So, yeah, he's actually, he writes over at Missio Alliance. You could check it, check that out over at missioalliance.org. One of the things, I think you mentioned wisdom, and that's one of the things that I kind of associate with um, with David Fitch. He's he's um, He's got a lot to say, and it's not all, like, practical solutions for your problems, but it is very good, like, grounding wisdom. That's what I found helpful about this conversation, is it brings wisdom to a, sub- a series of subjects, really, that, that are often cluttered with practical with the practical sometimes. And you just kind of sometimes you just the pra- want values. I'd, I'd, say, I'd say like pragmatic. Like a lot of times church planting can feel very pragmatic. Like you come up with programs and ways to solve problems. And he sort of grounds it in the spiritual and, the, and, in, the, and in wisdom in general. Like what does God do? How does he work through individuals and the pastor? And so we talked a lot about that. Um, so it was a good, it was a good uh, conversation. I'd highly recommend everyone check it out. Before we listen to that, we're going to talk about CT Magazine, which is, I mean, it is good these days, Morgan. We've got a new print managing editor. He's killing it. He's got a story in the latest one. Let's talk about the story. You want to talk about it? So Andy Olson, who is this new editor that we're speaking about. This new editor. The managing print editor. Print managing editor. He is also a former and once again returning journalist, he wrote a piece called The Migrant Missionaries. And it's about how Latino immigrants to this country are returning to their homelands, building ministries there, and kind of redefining what missions looks like in general in North America. And to do this story, he actually traveled to Los Angeles 
um, he speaks Spanish fluently and he used his Spanish speaking skills to attend some of these congregations and hear the stories of how they're doing missions work. Highly recommend this story for anyone who is interested in missions, but also anyone who's interested in the future of the church and what's it, what it's going to look like um, as new systems, ones that maybe might not even be familiar with, are, are created and built upon. Yeah, it's a good read, and uh, it's a good issue in general. This is like a huge issue that's out right now. So if people subscribe now by going to orderct.com slash the calling, they're going to get they're going to get our biggest issue this year, I think, by far. They'll also get 10 award-winning print issues, tablet PDF versions of each issue, full web access to ChristianityDay.com and our archives, which date back to 1956 when Billy Graham and Carl F.H. Henry put a stake in the ground. I guess that's how you put it. I don't know if that's how they put it, but anyway, they made a magazine <laughs> together. <laughs> um, it's, it's a lot of good archives and even like the original editorial that they launched CT with. You can go back and read that. Fascinating read. When one thing cool thing was when we ran the editorial last year, if I recall correctly, we On actually did a really interesting like annotation yeah. type feature that we created for that. Well, all different types of footnotes that add important context on there. So if you go to orderct.com, you'll find a special deal for for listeners, um, which includes a uh, discounted subscription and a bonus download created especially for our podcast listeners. By subscribing to CT Magazine, you'll be supporting thoughtful, essential journalism and helping to conti- helping us to continue to produce episodes of The Calling every other week. So thanks for that. Here's my interview with David Fitch. What's your so what's your podcast called? Theology on Mission Podcast. And why do you like do or do you like doing it? I uh, do I like doing it? You know, of all the things I do, yes, I like doing it, but um, it does take a little work. Wait, you didn't really finish that sentence. Of all the things you do, is it like the best thing you do or the least best thing you do? Um, In the middle, definitely in the middle. I mean, there's so many gratifying things about, you know, my life and what I get to do including being a professor and, and uh, teaching and guiding and being in dialogue with future leaders. That's huge. Yeah. Um, I'm a church planter and I love, I love church planting. Church yeah. planting is such a huge part of the way I live my life and podcasting. Um, I have found strangely, I think I have found I'm good at it. I think I found that I can get in front of a mic and banter with someone who is, you know, also fun to talk to and, uh, organize my thoughts quickly and get a reasonably good podcast out. I found I I, I like it. It does take a little work. Yeah. It, but more than the, you thought. Little more than I thought. That's the thing about podcasts is everyone thinks you just go talk in front of something. But and sometimes people think after they hear our podcast that he really didn't do enough work before. You know, the point is, yeah, it does take a little work, and I do enjoy it. One thing I don't enjoy is getting on a plane, getting on a plane and going somewhere where I'm not going to be home that night. Okay, now that takes a little effort on my part. I, I, I'm i very grumpy getting on a plane. Are we just saying things we don't enjoy now? That's we've, we've divulged, <laughs> or, or what do you call it? We've defaulted, evolved yeah. into things we don't like now. I hate taking out the trash. It's the worst. 
I love taking out the trash. It depends on if I'm actually planning to go outside or not. Like, I'll find to take it on the way. But... I feel so good taking out the trash. I'll tell you why. Why? Getting that garbage out of the house <laughs> and getting all that uh, recyclable stuff out into the bin. I love it. Yeah. In fact, uh, today is Thursday, and I did it yesterday uh, because the garbage guy comes early on Thursday. And I love doing it. I love the feeling of just having it done. Yeah. That's a rewarding having experience. Having it done. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. We always start this podcast with this question. How would you define your calling? How would I define my calling? Wow. I believe I'm called to be a Christian first, a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe I'm called to live that out in my life and where I live. My first calling is to live the Lordship of Christ, the kingdom of God in my life and in the world that I inhabit in my neighborhood. That's my first calling. Mm -hmm. Everything else sort of flows from there. Yeah. Um, I have now other callings that have evolved from there. I'm a professor at Northern Seminary. I'm a writer. I speak about engagement, culture, ethics, the issues of our day. But it would be nothing if I wasn't in my neighborhood and I wasn't engaging those very issues with real people yeah. in, real, in, in a church ministry of some sort. So you've written about this in a book called Faithful Presence, Seven Disciplines That Shape the Church for Mission. Mm -hmm. This is like, the, you were kind of articulating just now sort of the, that idea, basically that you're living out your faith in the world. And that's... How about living into Living into faith. your faith. Or under the Lordship of Christ as, a, as not only a personal reality, but a social reality that is taking shape in my neighborhood. That's the way I view the uh, what I'm supposed to be doing. Explain the difference between those two prepositions in that sentence. Yes. Living, you said living out my faith. Living out my faith, yeah. How is it that wrong? It has this sort of idea that I, as a human being, got to work out intellectually, cognitively, or individually mm -hmm. my faith so that I it moves out of myself and into around me. Whereas I view the Lordship of Christ and his reign is not only over me, but at work around me now, specifically in the church, where people are subject to him and together his rule becomes real among us. But he's also at work around me in the world that does not yet know he rules. And it's my job to uh, listen, pay attention, enter in, and become a witness, call people into his rule. You're putting, a lot, you're putting a lot of stock in what's happening out there, it seems like. A lot of stock? I don't want to put too much stock. Sure. I mean, but compared to other people that I've talked to, there's a little bit of a sense. Some other people would frame it like the church is doing God's work, and then the culture is there for us to correct, to edify. It's there for us to help. Tell them what to do. To yeah. Get it. Tell them how to get it right. Right. But it's certainly probably not there for us to learn from or to benefit from in some way, but you're seeing God working through those things. So, you know, I view the Kuyperian move, Abraham Kuyper, the, um, the school of Neo-Calvinism that has really, you know, and then there's, I'll call them Kuyperian knockoffs, Francis Schaeffer, Oz Guinness, uh, people like that. These people way, way back when, when I was your age, yeah. uh, we were reading them, 
Well, actually, I was reading them in high school, so I was probably younger than you. <laughs> but uh, the point is, you do seem kind of young. I'm, a, I'm, I don't know. But I'm old, so anybody's young, Relatively, so don't take it personally. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I consider that way of engaging the world the, that God has created all things good, and there's a common good out there. Yeah. There's a redemptive grace that's happening, but there's also a common grace. God's working for the good of all people. Therefore, all we have to do is learn from creation, blah, 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 blah. I consider that okay, but I'm much more interested in the way God's presence is at work in the world. His presence, the fullness thereof, is in the church. So what's the church's role in that? The church's role is to learn how to discern, submit oneself to, and live under the lordship of his presence. Yeah. You know, I often say, I've said in uh, Faithful Presence, in one whole chapter, that the presence of God is the dominant motif or theme from Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. More so than kingdom, more so than atonement. Mm-hmm. The atonement entering into the temple through the atonement uh, practices of, of Israel was to enter in and be in his presence. So when was the time that you became aware of your calling to sort of live out um, the Lordship of Christ in this way uh, and to help the church see these things in this way? Well, boy, first of all, it started by getting turned off to church. You could say, looking back now, I didn't know it then, but I saw a lack of God's presence the presence of the living, risen Christ uh, in church. I grew up typical evangelical. The center of the service was uh, singing some worship songs and then a long sermon, Mm -hmm. cognitive, rational sermon, where if I learn the right things and take the best notes, I'll become a better Christian. Well, um, and you might think that what I did at that point would be go to a Catholic church where they um, sacramentally engage and center the church around the presence of Christ at the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. took me a long time to get to understanding how important that was. But no, I didn't go right there. I started a journey towards trying to understand what went wrong. And then uh, I guess I could jump to, there's a lot of things that happened in my life. But I started hanging out in McDonald's about eight years ago. And I realized God was at work in McDonald's. Someone told me, Dave, pay attention to what God's doing in this place. Yeah. And then I realized the table at McDonald's that I'm sitting around, that little booth that's on the front page, or I should say the front cover of Faithful Presence. Did you Mm. see that? Did you tell them to do that? I did not tell them to do that. It was their genius. Wow. InterVarsity Press's very own, I wish I knew the person who did it. (laughs) Uh, We'll find out. But the point is that there I realized that if I can get out of myself and my own type A personality and everything I'm worried about and all the work I got to do and just sit there with people and tend to what God's doing, the the table would be open up, the space would be open up, he'd start to work, and I'd be able to discern what Mm -hmm. God's doing in that person's life. Hmm. And uh, I tell some stories in Faithful Presence, but the truth is I've been talking about these stories for years because it was just an amazing experience of how McDonald's became an arena of the work of the Holy Spirit through, and I would, I just became a participant recognizing what he was doing. To get really concrete, what does like that look like? Like what's an hour at McDonald's living that out look like? Yeah. Or even better, tell me what it looked like at first. 
Like yeah. when you first started to you realize that was what you needed to do well, and you started I'll doing it. I'll what, tell one of my favorite stories. I mean, I have about, you know, when you go on the road and talk a lot, what you end up doing is you get end up finding like 20 stories. You've <laughs> yeah. got, you got a thousand. Sure. But maybe 10 you get good at telling. And yeah. so this is one of those 10. Sure. Uh, but uh, I'll call him George. He was a guy without a home mm-hmm. with uh, maybe six, seven, eight guys. One, I remember at least two women, all without homes, living in the homeless shelters or in the, the large van, white van that George had. Anyways, he comes and sits across from me. Now, normally I would say, dude, I don't have time for this. I've got papers to grade. I've got sermons to write. I've got books to read. Mm-hmm. I've got research to do. Yeah. But no, the Spirit says, be present to my presence here. First, uh, three things George said was uh, there's a conspiracy with Mars, between Mars and the President Obama. And they're putting little chips in our brains, and they're going to take us all over if we're not careful. Mm-hmm. I listened to that for about a half hour, and then I said, George, it's, normally if I hear that story, the Mars conspiracy theory with the president, ex-president, uh, former President Obama, I would be out of there in about five minutes. Right. I'd be saying, what am I doing wasting my time here? This person is not in touch. No, what? believe it or not, God is at work in and through all suffering and even cover-ups and pains. And, and so I said, George, interesting theory. I've heard it three times, but can I ask, tell me more about you. What are you doing here and how did you get here? And, mm. and we started to talk. We started to break down the barriers. All the weird little theories started to go away. We started to engage. Yeah. Um, one day, George says, goes off on another uh, conspiracy engagement. I says, George, I am a busy man. Holy Spirit says, look, stop before. I, I got, I actually got uh, angry and said, George, I don't have time for the, uh, any more of your conspiracy theories. I'm out. Walking out the door in a huff. Maybe you're going to think I'm Pentecostal here and I guess it's okay. <laughs> we allow that. I do have a Pentecostal <laughs> edge to me. Uh-huh. I believe the Spirit said to me, Dave, I know you ha- I know you got a lot of work to do, but I care about George, and here's what I'd like you to do. Next time you see him, I'd like to say, I don't have a lot of time to talk to you. Just be honest and say, but I'd like to spend a half an hour every week sorting out our lives together, talking about what's going on in your life and my life and, and figuring life out together. Would you do that? I go, wow. I did that the next time I saw him. George agreed to meet me from 8.30 to 9 on Friday morning. Mm-hmm. He hardly ever showed. But uh, when he did, we started to engage some of the most incredible conversations. The people told me George would never get a job. George was hopeless. One day, George says, I haven't seen my kids in 10 years. It's Christmas time. Uh-huh. It's in December. Yeah. I believe, I said, George, I believe, I proclaim the gospel. In Faithful Presence, I talk about proclaiming gospel as a practice of our everyday life. I said, mm-hmm. I, I believe Jesus is Lord here. And this has been now a year or two into our relationship. And I said, uh, I believe he's reconciling you and your ex-wife and your kids. He goes, you have no idea what you're talking about. She hates me. There's a restraining order. I can't get within 100 yards of the house. There's no hope. I go, George, I proclaim Jesus is Lord and working in all of this. Hmm. He wants, I quoted 2 Corinthians 5. I said, he's reconciling the whole world to himself. Can you believe that? George's eyes kind of changed. He kind of went a little wide-eyed. He said, yes. 
I said, hmm. About five minutes later, we said, what are we going to do about it? We wrote a letter to hmm. his wife, ex-wife, asking forgiveness, confessing sin, talking about being forgiven. Mm-hmm. A year later, I'll skip ahead, a year later, George not only saw his family at Christmas time, but another year later, George had a job. Yeah. When the antagonism starts to unwind, right. Jesus starts to heal and restore, a lot of things start working themselves out. Yeah. But when we're bound by the brokenness and the chains of hate and antagonism, man, we're bound. And uh, that's the way God works and opens up space in the kingdom. So I just found, now, now the reason why I knew what was, how to sense the presence of God at work there is the logic yeah. of the way God works. You learn that in the Eucharist. Right. I, you, one of the things that's interesting about that story is it kind of starts to open up when you, when you kind of move past the, the crazy, what you call the crazy theories, which is interesting to me because I feel like that's something that we have to all learn to do with each other, right? Yes. Like we, we have these sort of like um, ideas about the world that are on our outer, on our sleeves a little bit. And we start to talk, and those are the things we sort of bump up against really quickly. But what I've found at least, and you seem to have found, is that there's something a lot more personal behind those things. Yes. Or maybe it's related, maybe it's not, but there's definitely something more like human underneath the surface of whatever crazy theories we may have. Oh, it's so true. In fact, so many of our battles, you know, you you and I are living in the uh, post-election 2016 election. We are in the midst of nonstop antagonisms. Mm -hmm. And if we can just hold ourselves off a little bit from judging the other person across the table. Yeah. And if we can kind of say, mm, there's something else going on here, much deeper, much more important, much more uh, driving this person in terms of brokenness, hurt, pain, unforgiveness, un- broken relationships, uh, broken hurt, or uh, just a need for healing and to be known and loved. If we can just like clear the space, mm-hmm. kind of provoke me I, I i ask a few questions don't provoke but sometimes you have to provoke sometimes you have to say something like e, a little humor or something right and then then just open up the space to ask a good question and listen yeah and trust take the attention off yourself and how angry you are that somebody just said that and trust that god's at work in that person we will be surprised nine out of the ten times there will be sometimes when we will not be surprised that it's bad or even uglier or worse than we thought but that's for God to do. Yeah. That's for God to work. One question I have about that story, because stories have a, do a thing sometimes, especially in situations like this where you're illustrating a point. They have a, a tendency to like normalize or like create a, a precedent for uh, what you think should happen. Mm. At the end of that story, everything turns out pretty well. Like his life is resolved. He gets back with his wife. He gets his job. He does not get back with his wife because no. his, his wife has a new Husband. Okay, but, but he sort of reconciles. There's with her. reconciling going on there. He is reconciled with the rest of his family, and he's reconciled yeah. with his ex-wife, although they're not married. What yeah. happens if that stuff doesn't happen? What happens if you go through all of those situations and um, and th- that that doesn't take place? Yeah, I really don't know how to answer that question. Okay. I, I I saw. Uh, I didn't have any prescribed outcomes. I just wanted to participate in what God was doing in their lives. I would get surprised hmm. in McDonald's. By the way, my new place, my new hangout, 
is a bar on Cass Avenue in Westmont because we left our church plant in the northwest suburbs of Chicago to Westmont, Peace of Christ Church. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's different in every place. Mm -hmm. I'm now talking about McDonald's, and I would get a guy who would sit down and, you know, he had, he had gone through alcoholism, losing his house, his daughter in rehab uh, post uh, suicide watch rehab in the hospital. He had gone through one thing after another, and he comes up to me and he says, Dave, you know, we're sitting at the table. I've become a Christian. I go, what? Hmm. When did this happen? Yes, I've given my life to Christ. I go, what church are you going to? And he goes, well, I'm going to Willow Creek. I go, what? <laughs> Willow Creek? And, and, and forgive me, Willow Creekers, but I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I was just thinking... Why did you come to my church? Now I've since <laughs> right. learned. I've right. since learned a lot from that episode, which I can't go into right now. Uh -huh. But um, no, I had no prescribed outcome. Uh, I didn't say if he gets saved, he's going to be a part of my church, and I'm going to get a little notch on my church planting belt. Blah right. blah blah. Um, but so many times, like there was this guy named. I, I want to change all these names, just if perchance they end up listening to this. Mm -hmm. I'll call this guy Sam. Sam consistently, persistently came to me and telling me he was an atheist. And we would talk about God and why I believe in God and why he doesn't. And he had a lot of baggage in, in his past, mainly against Christians. But he started going to the Lutheran church in town where there was a homeless shelter. And he started doing some amazing things. And he started talking about love. And I go, Sam, you're a Christian. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Oh, well, okay. You haven't maybe crossed the line, but you're heading in that direction. No, I'm not. Sam, why do you go to the homeless shelter every week? Because I want to be there. And no, you're hungering for Jesus. Uh, I believe, Sam, I don't know, Sam, uh, what the outcome was because um, I moved a couple of years ago and I haven't seen Sam in a long, long time. But uh, I believe, I don't know what happened. I don't know the outcome, but I sure do. In my heart, I believe Sam is going to make a decision to follow Christ mm -hmm. in his life. Mm -hmm. I just see it. Okay, so I don't have an outcome yeah. uh, in mind. Everything doesn't turn out exactly like I wanted to, but somehow I feel blessed to be in part of what God's doing and bringing people to himself. I saw so many people come to himself right. through, um, and it ended up through, you know, Something that happened at McDonald's, but a lot of them ended up in church. Some of them are on their way to church. I, this is not a pushback. This is just digging a little deeper. Have you never had a situation where you were ministering to someone and it ended in pure tragedy? And that, that, like, there, it's hard to see. It's hard to like step back and go, I can see God working in that in yeah. some, some way we can envision. I am thinking about some other people I know and have been involved in ministry with who have had that happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and so let me just, I, I got to be careful in the way I talk about it, but right. um, they had such great hopes for this homeless person that they were going to help Yeah. and that they were going to spend all this time and energy sorting out their life for him. And it never happened. Never happened. Uh, they, they had... Another person working with a homeless person, going out to where they were and, and putting them in a program. And here's 
I feel like when we make people into projects and we have goals for them mm-hmm. and we think we know what's best for them, it almost always, almost always never works. When I'm there and if you're ready and you're willing and, and I'm here and I have, I'm just here offering the kingdom, uh, I'm not in control of what you do. I feel like I'm rarely disappointed. Yeah, there's there's sort of a posture of mutual mutuality there, right? Like there's a there's a what do you want? I want this. Well, I I, I want that for you. Yeah, it's you like know? the person says, uh, "No thanks." I go, oh, "Oh, okay, fine. God bless you." Right. Um, I'm not really upset about that. I'm actually thinking maybe they're better off without me. I mean, part of me saying that, but on the other hand. Um, yeah, when, when, when God's opened up the doors and the space is open to be with somebody and talk about Christ, I can't remember any time it's gone wrong. Hey, everybody, I'm going to interrupt this conversation with David Fitch to talk to you about another podcast that Christianity Today is producing. It's called Quick to Listen. Morgan here with me. Hey, Morgan. What's up, Richard? You're the host of Quick to Listen. You're one of the hosts of Quick to Listen. The longest running host. You are the... Host emeritus. Nope. Is I'm that... still there. I'm still there. Emeritus is like when um, you're like honorary. Wh- what is it called when you're like the longest running one? Great question. Well, seniority. Host with seniority. Senior host. Senior host. Which is ironic because the other host is a senior. And then who's the other host? Mark Galley. And what do you guys do at Quick to Listen? Mainly it's a time for people to be able to hear us pester someone that has way more information about a given subject with questions and get some context out of something that's usually contentious or controversial or is making people feel some type of way about something. So we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about terrorism. Mm -hmm. We've talked about Muslims. If anyone was familiar with some of the Eugene Peterson remarks from a couple weeks ago, we addressed that. Our most recent guest was Josh Harris who some people know is the author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yeah. So the the nice thing about Quick to Listen is it fits nicely into the rhythms of sort of um, evangelical culture and, and internet culture. If you get if you often find yourself interested in the latest flare up, Quick to Listen is often going to go there, but go there in a way that is a lot more thoughtful than some of the other ways the internet tends to look at things, right? Like uh, because the internet is a sentient body. Yeah, I, I think it's really cool. We've seen lots of podcasts, right, come up in the past couple of years that are reacting to current events in mostly real time. But I'm really pleased with what we put put together because we are trying to look for ways to offer context and to give people more information that's relevant to what's going on. All right, so that's quick to listen. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your latest podcast. Back to the conversation. I don't remember if you mentioned, is there some sense in which you have a vocational calling? Like the thing you feel like you were made to do for work or as a career? Well, I don't really believe in that idea of I was made to do this. I was born before the foundation of the the earth, creation, whatever, uh, (laughs) to be um, a professional theologian. I actually, you know. That would be nice. Well... I don't know if you know this, but technically I am yes. a professional theologian. Yes. Is that what you want to be when you grow up? No. Okay, because I Please str- no. <laughs> I would strongly urge against it. If I <laughs> Why? Could put because it in- I'd be bad at it or because you hate it? No, no. I love it, and you would not be bad at it, but you don't I that. just think the vocation of professional theologian 
is something from the archives of Christendom hmm. and the opportunities are shrinking by the day yeah. and you might end up getting your hopes up yes. for a profession that no longer exists. Yes, I feel that way about journalism. Same thing can be said about journalism. <laughs> or at least the way and form of, by which it takes place is changing, just like theological education. Right. But uh, I do believe, I, I, I like the line that uh, Stanley Hauerwas says in Hannah's Child, that the first thing he says is, I did not intend to be Stanley Harawas. And I feel like I can say the same thing. I did not intend to be David Fitch. If if you if there's anyone out there who has any idea who I am, I did not intend for those two or three people who know me. That was an accident. Uh, yeah. I I I I came out of seminary. My parents, my dad was a minister, my grandfather was a minister. I thought maybe I could be a minister. I went to seminary. But I came out like with more questions than answers. I did not understand the church. I the present form of the church really turned me off. And I went, you know, I went. I got a job at uh, uh, Payne Weber, which later became a job at Bear Stearns, which mm. later became a job at Lehman Brothers. I mm. got pretty good at in six years of of running financial services. And wow. uh, uh, I was I got saved when I was thirty, thirty one. Okay. For, for the second time. And, and for us holiness people, you can do it twice. Yeah. One time justified by faith, second time sanctified. Uh -huh. Holy, holy. Okay. I had several uh, fake ones, but you had, <laughs> you had two real ones. Well, yes. I do believe the first one was real and it led me to the second. Uh -huh. But I, I often say the second time it was for real, man. Huh. I was laid bare before God, pleading mercy on my life. Headed for damnation is where I saw myself going. And um, anyways, out of that, I pursued God. I pursued a PhD because I had a lot of questions. And then one thing led to another. I got married at the advanced age of 43 to my lovely wife, Rayanne. And she mm -hmm. put, he's put up with this moving around, planning churches and, and writing books. And, and uh, man, that's something I never intended to be. But all along, I feel like that's um, a calling. But I will say this. Where I'm at right now in Westmont, Illinois, I often say this is the place I was meant to be. I'm an urban guy, but let's let's understand. And, and I feel like for those of you who don't know Westmont, Westmont's a suburb, but man, is it different? <laughs> it's so different. Anyway, I won't I won't go into that at length. But all this to say, through living in the city for many years and learning the urban rhythms and learning about being around people and the cultures and the places people go. I feel called to that, but I can't say it was created in me. I learned it, and it became part of me through the contingencies of my life that God led me through. I think that's the way God works. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So do you ever feel—do you ever doubt yourself? you ever doubt the trajectory? No. No? No, not at this, not at this advanced age. What about in your previous I stage? am. I am 6-0 now. I know that— I know that you find uh, Richard's finding Richard's looking in disbelief because he's saying you look in your 38 20s, at least in your 20s. <laughs> but uh, uh, I feel like even the mistakes I've made, God has used wonderfully to work his will in my life. And I have made mistakes. Yeah. Believe me, bummers of mistakes. But I look back and I see God used them put me back on the track. I got faithful. I submitted my life to him and he used him. So I can't even say, I mean, there's a lot of times I walk around going, oh, darn it. I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't wasted that 10 years. 
But a lot of me will, refuses to say that. No, I used it anyways, and I used it to his to God used it to His glory, and I feel good about it. I feel okay about. It. I feel actually good about it most of the time. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. When you made those mistakes, you must not have felt good about it. Like, you, did you feel like I've, I've done it now? Like mm. there was so for me there was a time when like I got divorced and I said mm. I'm done with ministry mm. I'm done with I was in seminary at the time I was like well that was a waste you mm. know mm. did you have a moment like that or did you have a sense of what was really happening uh no 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 I never had that sense oh I've screwed up it's over hmm. it was different um I got caught up into the world. I got caught up into some of the things that it was forming me into Okay. with money, with the way I looked at women. I had to be reshaped. And funny thing is I remember crossing the bridge after I'm uh, letting go of my Wall Street job to follow Christ and take literally a 90% pay cut. God. 90%. <laughs> and I've got this deep yeah. black hole... Uh, uh, lump in my throat feeling. Yes. Oh, I am just laying. I'll never go back. But Lord, I'm going to follow you no matter what. But if, but it just makes doing the, you get bad habits in your life and it just makes doing the right thing. Harder. Following Christ harder and yeah. more difficult. Yeah. And if, if, so if there's one thing I felt, I, I'm going, oh, if I had never done that, it wouldn't be so hard right now to follow you. But I will say this to all the people who've got caught up in the world and trashed your, you know, some of your desires towards wrong ends. Follow Christ, be faithful, keep relentlessly so, and those old desires will fall away, shrink, and hopefully die. Sometimes they don't die. They just linger on, and you're just gonna have to bear the pain of them mm -hmm. for the rest of your life. But hey, it's not that it's not as bad because they shrink in comparison to what God's calling you to. I didn't know I was gonna preach today on your podcast. <laughs> I thought I was coming. It in. happens. It does happen. <laughs> but it, in, it's preachers preach. That's just how it goes. Well, I do preach. I am a preacher. I'm a professor, but I am a preacher. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't How, have I don't have a secular job anymore, which is, you know, it is what it is. But uh, do you like that? Do I like that? No, but I do spend time. I have to make time to spend time to be present with people who are outside the bubble. Mm -hmm. So 
there's this bar. I don't want to tell anybody the name of this bar because I don't want anybody visiting me at Didn't this bar. Didn't you just say it a minute ago? You no, I said it. it was on Cass Avenue. Oh, okay. But I did not say the name because I don't want any Christians visiting me in this bar and messing things up so, for hey, me. Hey, it's, <laughs> it's the David Finn, Fitch. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. Uh, but uh, I go there and I'm with people. Mm-hmm. The salt, well, it depends on what you mean by salt of the earth. Um, when you when you quote the Sermon on the Mount, you have to realize Jesus was talking, I believe, about the church. You mm-hmm. are the salt of the earth. But yep. these people are the salt of the earth. But they're longing for Christ. Yeah. You can see it in their eyes. They're longing for his presence. They're longing to be known. And yet, you know, no one's there. No one's there to be there and point them to the way. So I go there every Thursday night now. Uh, I think it's important. I think pastors should find their place, probably more than one, where they are just there and uh, and they're being present with people outside of Christianity who need the gospel, who are lost and many, many times are lost and wandering. Um, and that puts you into touch with so many dynamics going on in your neighborhood and your culture that you can then proclaim the gospel to your own people and send them out in the same way. You know who else hangs out in a bar to keep in touch with the salt of the earth type G.K. Chesterton. No, you're never going to guess, but I interviewed him on a podcast. He talked about the same Andy thing. Crouch. Nope. It's Max Lucado. Max Lucado. Would you believe it? Max Lucado. Isn't that interesting? Max, if you call me up or... or, or Hang out at a bar together. Or, or You will tell him the name of email your Email me, me yeah, via the Northern website, <laughs> Northern Seminary website. I will hang out at your bar with you. <laughs> That's awesome. So th- you talked about bubbles. I want to talk a little bit about bubbles because um, there's a lot of talk about the bubbles these yeah. days. Everybody's talking about their bubbles because I think everyone's feeling acutely that no one... Are we talking about what, when you say bubbles? Well, what do you mean? Well, I didn't mean Lawrence Welk. Uh, you don't even know what Lawrence Welk is or was. You're way too young. I can't remember the song, but there was bubbles. Uh, a lot of bubbles in the Lawrence Welk theme song. Uh, bubbles. Uh, I mean a bubble that we sometimes get into as Christians... Yeah. And we only hang out with Christians. Right. And therefore, we uh, develop our own language. Yeah. And we can't talk to anybody else. And we get ingrown and even defensive yeah. as a church in the world. Yes. Yeah. So I think uh, this is something that beyond the church, people have become aware of. It certainly applies to the church. There's no question about that, especially the evangelical church. But since the election, since the inauguration, since yesterday, everyone seems to be more and more aware that they don't understand one another, right? Like they don't have a way of talking through one another. And one thing, one of the things because of, I guess, my job and also just my interests, I'm really fascinated by the online aspect of this. Um, and I've like, one thing I notice is you're really active on Twitter. You're really active online. You blog a lot. You write a lot online. Um, you have like, what, Almost 20,000 followers. You're almost there. So, I'm working on it. <laughs> Folks, fit chest. You, after this At podcast, Fitch-jet. you'll blow right through yeah. it. Yeah, F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T <laughs> is my Twitter handle. We'll say at the end of the podcast. We always <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things I was wondering, I just wanted your perspective because I'm thinking about this constantly. And one of the things I, f- I find myself doing is become my perspective is warped like completely warped of like what human beings are feeling or are thinking um when i 
go online. And the problem is like it's kind of up to you to manually craft a situation for yourself on Twitter or yes. any social media yes. where you're not in that position. So you have to like you really have to be the world's most intentional person. You have to create a spreadsheet and make sure you have one of each kind in order to get an accurate picture of like what people around you might actually feel or think. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, blah, 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 takes a lot of heat for the way it stirs antagonisms, creates problems, mm -hmm. uh, bad communication, splits in families, blah, 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 blah. So um, I disagree. I strangely see Facebook and then derivatively Twitter as a medium for some really good conversations. Mm -hmm. Now, everybody uses it differently. I use it completely differently than most of my uh, friends. I, I have a Facebook page, and but it, but it spreads into so many spheres when people like repost your your post. What do you call it? Share your post. Yeah. So, anyways, my whole point here is that I read and study first two three hours, and I have uh, key thoughts that come to my mind out of my reading, mm. out of my thinking. Mm -hmm. And the key work of a theologian is to be able to communicate a theological idea, thought, understanding in a trick, in a very pithy uh, one or two sentences. This is hard work, but it's so brilliant when you do it. I'm not saying I'm the greatest at it, but I work at it. I put it out on Facebook, then we talk about it, and then I see what happens. I've learned now how to ask questions, make spaces for conversations, to point out the antagonisms in the, in the sphere. And so I have a following that's kind of generated around those ideas mm -hmm. that really help me do my thinking, frankly. Huh. And then Twitter spins off of that. I usually start in Twitter and goes to Facebook. I think these are great mediums for these kind of things if you can be a skilled conversationalist on yeah. Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. It's interesting that you start with study, you start with reading, and then you – because a lot of times I think what I do is I go, what's the thing What's the thing that's on Twitter now? And I look at Twitter and then I have my opinion on it based on what's on Twitter. Yeah. I and never it becomes do that. this like vicious cycle of like yeah but yeah but yeah but you know what I mean? Yeah, I never do that. I have never I I'm always starting by reading. I have a set I have by 20 or 30 connectors where I'm looking for articles like the last 2 weeks since since uh the inauguration. I've been reading some of my set places, you know, New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, Toronto Globe and Mail, by the way, is, is, is probably better to read hmm. on Trump than any of the U.S. located. The Toronto newspaper. Yeah, because Canadians, not, of course, I grew up in Canada. I know a little bit about, a little bit about it. I might be prejudiced, but Canadians, Canadians have, a, have a thought process that's different. And that's going to escape this kind of nonstop churning of antagonisms. Huh. But anyways, I'll go in there and I'll look, and uh, I'll f I've been a I've been unable to find an article that interests me on Trump in the last week from, really? from those typical places, just because it's just a rehash of anger, pain, uh, attack, directive. Some of it is saying obvious stuff, uh, but I don't feel like I need to retweet or put on my Twitter feed, Facebook page, obvious stuff. I want to put something there that says something that I can make a little comment. You know what? I agree with this or I disagree with this, and this makes so much sense. So I feel all that's part of developing conversations. Yeah. Interesting. What has been in the time that you've been in ministry? 
What would you say has been your biggest struggle? I had to learn. I had to learn. It took me a while. But I had to learn that ministry was not about me. I had to learn that I can generate a lot of activity in ministry. I can even start a church on my own energy. It might kill me, but I can still do it. And God might honor that in some way. But if it's all my energy when I'm gone, it's gone, basically. If I allow the Holy Spirit to work and I take the pressure off and I started to engage and be present with people, call them into the kingdom, and we start, we start doing the kingdom together, it'll take longer, but it'll be so solid, so permanent, so substantive, so rich, so real. It'll be so much better than con- anything concocted on my human energies hmm. or pure human genius. And I had to learn how to operate that way with people. I learned how to sit across the table from people. What would you say is your deepest fear in this work you do? Well... I'm a professor now. I'm a pastor. I go around and speak and uh, in that order. No, pastor, professor, go around and speak in that order. Okay. My biggest fear is that my personal life will take a back seat and get gobbled up by my, let's call it professional life. I hate to call it professional life. Right. But all the demands that are coming on my time, whether it's at a, as a pastor or frankly, as a professor, or even more so as a speaker. That will take preeminence over what God's doing in my life, through my family and my neighborhood and my local bar and being with people in ministry. I fear, I even had a talk about this with somebody a couple nights ago um, because I've been getting too many speaking engagements and I'm not doing a good job managing him. So I do believe if you separate yourself from what God's doing in real life with your family, with your church, with your neighborhood, uh, when you go out and speak, you are going to be the biggest egghead, the biggest like uh, hologram or whatever you call it. And, 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 and it's going to be so worthless. God save us from speakers like that. God save me from becoming that. I feel that in my church because my church is more like my personal life, right? Like my friends are in my church yeah. and I don't work there. So it's, it's, uh, it's kind of where I go when I'm not working and I feel unable <clears throat> to be present. This, all you're talking about presence is convicting because it's real hard. It's, I find myself to be a, uh, reference machine, like a mm. bringing up, Oh, yeah, we wrote an article about that. Like, that's my conversational technique. Yeah, because you got to generate material and you got to content and it's, it's, the, it's the habit I have, right? Yeah. Like, the habit I've generated. What's, what's like the habit you've generated from being in ministry that you find yourself doing in your personal life? Or is there one? Or that actually seems like it would be like helpful. In fact, like, this, this part of my job is probably the most helpful for my personal life. Because I have this discipline of like, because it forces me to listen to people. And yeah. I'm, I'm not good at that in yeah. my personal life. Well, uh, if there's a habit that I've been cultivating and I have to be called back to it all the time, it is to be present to the persons or persons I am with. Mm-hmm. 
to not dominate a conversation, control the conversation, but let God be at work in the conversation and take his lead, not mine. Yeah. That's my understanding. That's how pastors should work. That's presence. And it changes everything. But every once in a while, I sense, because I'm a professor, hey, and here I am now. I've got a job to do. Hey, I know more than you. I've got a PhD <laughs> for Pete's sake. Right. You should be listening to me. Okay, now I'm going to just show you what you need to know yeah. and tell you where you need to go. And huh. I have to pull myself back yeah. from that. It seems like the church planning thing would be hard, too. Like, I don't, I don't know, from afar at least. Everything I just said applies to church planting. Yeah. You if it, you have to kind of like, like church planting is like, I don't know. The church planners I know are real motivated to create startup stuff, to be entrepreneurial, to make a thing happen. But you almost seem to have rebelled against that whole, that whole idea. Uh, yeah, because... Um, folks, um, there's no way for me to summarize this, but, uh, in Christendom, we could go to a place, put out a sign, generate act. Now we make videos and now we raise money and put up a big splash. We call it a launch and we can generate a lot of activity that way. And it will mostly be Christians from other churches coming, mm -hmm. at least initially. I don't believe that's church planning, at least not when the world is, uh, the world that we live in is no longer Christian. I mean, when I walk outside, look, we Westmont, we got four churches in the center of town. Actually, one closed. The we got the we got the Lutheran Missouri Synod Church. We got the Catholic Church. We got we had the Methodist Church, which was the liberal church. Sorry, Methodist, but and it it, it every every town's got a liberal <laughs> church, a Lutheran church, a Catholic church, and an evangelical church. We the evangelical church died. The liberal church died. The Catholics and the Lutherans are doing all right, but they tend to be heritage churches. And so huh. my whole point is uh, there's so many people as I walk around who don't have, who know nothing about what it means to be part of the body of Christ, who know nothing about who Jesus is and how he's Lord of their lives and what he wants to do in the world and have them come and join in. So uh, I, I'm not interested in putting on a big show to attract people from the, the, the old Methodist church and the Lutherans and the Catholics who want a little more contemporary worship and a little less Latin. They don't do Latin anymore, by the way. But I am interested in meeting that person on the street or in that bar or at that McDonald's, or down the street at, at the library, or in, in at, at the Veterans Park baseball. I'm interested in call, making space for the gospel to become proclaimed into their lives and for them to find Jesus. And that means I don't start out with some concocted set of activities that those people have to come to to find God, to find Jesus, because those people, nine out of ten times, the ones I'm talking about will not come. Mm -hmm. I want to develop land in a place and develop relationships and organize accordingly what God would do. This is a, a follow-up on that, one thing I just thought of. This is at least my experience these days, building relationships with those, with those types of people, with people. Yes. Is an awkward process when you don't have programs, which is, I think, why they why churches do programs, right? It makes It's like a thing we can set up and say, come to it. If you don't, not my problem. But to, to actually get to know people that I don't have like a prior connection to, I find to be really uncomfortable. And in fact, when you're sharing... Um, when you're sharing the McDonald's story, I'm like, n first of all, no one comes, no one comes to my table when I'm sitting alone at a McDonald's. 
That just doesn't happen to me like ever. And I and I do sit alone at McDonald's sometimes. Uh, and second of all, I'm not gonna go up to someone who's sitting alone at a table because I feel weird about it. So that may be unique to me, but I also don't think I'm the only one yeah. in the world who feels that way. Give me some advice on yeah. how to deal with that. Well, not everybody. Okay, so I admit I'm a bit of an extrovert. Yeah. My wife is even bigger extrovert than me. She can go into the grocery store and talk to anybody. Um, part of that I want to caution that you might be surprised if you stay present long enough. Just sit there. Don't do anything. You'll be surprised. There will be an extrovert in the room who will talk to you. Yeah. Um, Stop but, like looking at my phone for a second. Yeah. 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 Just be there. Uh, I find that not enough people are willing to spend the time to just be there. Hmm. Uh, Alan Hirsch used to say, uh, go spend time in a bar, same time, same night of the week, same time, every week for a year, and you will become an acquaintance of somebody in that bar. Do it the second year, you will become part of that bar. Now, that's a long time, but it takes a long time to become part of a social reality and mm -hmm. where people will trust you, love you, talk to you, speak to you. I can tell you firsthand, and I'm a little bit more extroverted than the average person, but I can tell you firsthand it happens, and it happens in amazing ways. But now, okay, let's just say I buy your argument that not everybody can do that. Um, everybody does stuff. Everybody, any kind of activity that God calls you to, mm -hmm. hospital, uh, they need volunteers. A homeless shelter, pads, you need volunteers to take three hours a section on every weekend. Um, there's so many places, unless you just hide in your house 24-7, yeah. it's going to be hard not to find those places, those spaces that open up where we can actually be present with somebody else. But the magic is, and I, I hate to call it magic because... Remember when Luther and Calvin accused the Catholics of the mass, turning it into magic? <laughs> but there was, there's the presence of Christ in these places if we will tend to what Christ is doing and know and understand how to read the presence of Christ. So yeah, my suggestion to you is find that space, whatever it might be, where you're naturally there. There's a game room in, in, uh, on Cass Avenue, downtown Westmont. It's called Hot Sauce. Game, gamers, I've discovered, are very, like, awkward socially. They don't really like to talk to you face-to-face. -face. Uh -huh. But if you get around, if you play a game, yeah. a board game of some kind, yeah. oh, then there's some safety, and they'll actually talk to you and actually play a game with the same person for six months, and they're going to tell you the story of their lives. Yes. That game room is a place for the kingdom of God to break out of somebody who loves games. I hate games. I'm not going in there. But for somebody, pe pe uh, I, I will be asking so many questions about how do, how do you play this stupid game that people will want to rusher me out of hot sauce game room. But for a person who's a naturally a gamer, go in there. Yeah. The presence of Christ is in there. They're just waiting to be, uh, you know, for it to be revealed to huh. them. Yeah. So we always ask the same last question. Um, if you had a time machine and you could go into it and step out of it, and introduce yourself to yourself years before. Oh that was my. maybe the most convoluted way I've ever asked this question, but just follow me here. So you're talking to your younger self. Is this self. a movie or something? This is a movie I wrote called, <laughs> I don't have a name for it, but you're talking to your younger self. What would you tell him? I tell this to young men all the time. Uh, life goes fast, and uh, a lot of times... 
uh, we get distracted in our early years. I'm often, I would have told myself, you just need to give, get saved. You just need to put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. Trust him. Go with it. It took me way too long to step out and go and follow Christ and, and do and do the things I felt he was calling me to do. Too scared, too distracted, too worried about what I'll miss. That's what this world does to you. I wish someone had been able to effectively communicate and tell me, you know what, all this is for grass. It's, it's, it's chaff. That's the word I was looking for. It's not, it won't amount to anything. Follow Christ with your life. I think that's the most important thing I, I could have said to anybody. It seems like most of what you're referring to is like like the financial work and the stuff that kind of comes with that. Well, all the distractions that came around that, the pursuit of money, the yeah. pursuit of worldly uh, acclaim, fame, the, the pursuit of all these misplaced desires that the world you know, fools you into thinking that's what it's all about. Yeah. You gotta have a perfect wife. You gotta have a this. You gotta have a house that looks like this. You gotta have this. No, I don't actually. <laughs> I actually don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. I, I found out later uh, because that's just a waste of time. You've been listening to The Calling. David Fitch is professor at Northern Seminary in Chicago, Illinois. He's the author of the book Faithful Presence, which is available now. You can follow him on Twitter at Fitchest, that's F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T, like he's the most Fitch of all of them. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Jonathan Clausen. Theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0.